Good evening. Hello and welcome to Here's Johnny's Reviews, the movie review podcast that'll slice or uh, or dice and dice or praise and hype a movie. How can I fucking fuck that up? I've been doing it for fucking four years. Aye. <clears throat> anyway. Each and every month, there's a thing. However, for the next three months, July, August and September, it's the Summer of Shocks, which is my look at the Piranha franchise, Stephen King movies, and this month's movies, a selected few Hitchcock classic movies. Today's movie, by public demand, as it was voted on for my Twitter feed, so if you want to vote on movies I'll cover, follow me on that. Details later. Is Hitchcock's Rope from 1948. The story based off two real-life killers, Leopold and Loeb, who in 1924 kidnapped and killed a 14-year-old boy just to prove they were better than everyone else. Due to them being from rich families and having a, quote, Superman complex. Thinking because they were rich and successful, then the morals and rules of every day did not apply to them because they were stinking rich. The two were also ahem, close friends. In fact, it was a master-slave relationship where one was in love with the other as the other just loved the power he held of the other one. And this is where the whole phrase queer fear came from uh, that still grips the world today. Uh, this, however, is not a true crime podcast, but this is a movie one, so if you want to know more about them, look up a true crime podcast. Back to the movie! which is based on a book, uh, Rope's End, which was later turned into a play and then turned into a Hitchcock movie, because of course it is, that's now three movies I've covered, where it was a book, a play, then a movie. However, due to this being made in 1948, the word gay nor homosexual was never used. However, it is heavily implied, and my, hasn't the world changed in 70 years? Now, gay is everywhere. It's almost hip and cool to be so. However, is this better? Now, see, I'm not saying we should go back to the bad old days where you could be jailed just for being gay. Hell, jailed for just holding a member of the same sex's bloody well hand. And you could be chemically castrated for fuck's sake for being bloody gay. But has the gay lifestyle been pushed into the limelight far too much? After all, everything today has to have a queer kink. Now, before you sharpen your pitch talks and light those torches, I am a gay man myself, and I'm starting to feel homosexuality is now just a hip, cool badge to be worn and then discarded at a whim. Like a 10-minute fad uh, you'll get bored of, such as fidget spinners and Pokemon Go. But again, uh, this is not a queer, no homosexual podcast. I would keep my sexuality out of this. However, I am worried that all the gay rights we have might be taken back because queerness is forced into everything. After all, the gay cycle is every 20 to 30 years. Therefore, these could be whipped back. Whippity snap, I mean, for crying out loud. But moving on, back to the movie, uh, which was shot in 10-minute chunks due to the camera being so huge. Indeed, this has 10 seamlessly cut sewn cuts rather sewn into the movie although he thought it was seamless it wasn't it zooms into somebody's back and zooms out and that's a cut Hitchcock wanted us to look like one large one take movie but failed with its budget of 1.5 million this thing pulled in 2.7 million not adjusted for inflation so let's just dive into this thing which I never actually saw until watching this movie for this review 
Starring James Stewart, Farley Granger, John Dow, Edith Everson and Cedric Hardwick. Directed by Sir Alfred Hitchcock. Other plot, two rich men kill a former classmate and then throw a party to prove they're better than everyone else. Can their former teacher prove their killers or will they get away with the perfect murder? So, the movie opens up on an average street in any town USA, circa 1948. And Hitchcock cameo! As he walks past with a woman on his arm. Is this the earliest Hitchcock cameo at well under 60 seconds? Up pops the titles. The camera then turns and zooms into a pair of closed curtains, inside which we hear a scream, then we see a murder. As the camera goes inside, do we see Brendan, played by John Dow, and Philip, played by Farley Granger, of Hitchcock's other classic thriller of a gay killer, Strangers on a Train, and the 1981 slasher flick, The Prowler. They kill an old classmate, David Kentley, played by Dick Hogan. Who dies standing up? Uh, no. His body would go limp, not just stand there bolt upright. Also, he does not fight back, he just stands there as his two former classmates strangle him with a yard of rope. Okay then. After checking for a heartbeat, the two toss him inside an old traveller's chest. And then Philip begs for a moment of silence, but Brandon just stands there and coolly lights a cigarette. Because this guy is a cold, heartless bastard. He then throws open the curtains to show the skyline of New York City. And then gloats about how he felt a rush of power as he took the life of his classmate. Philip, however, seems shocked and not into this one little bit. Brandon then goes on to mock their victim, David, at calling him a quote, everyday American. And wow, this guy is a cold, calculating, cocky swine. Whereas Philip seems more like a sheep. Indeed, he starts to panic when he realises that the chest doesn't have a lock on it. He shows signs of regret, whereas Brandon just doesn't give two shits. And all he wants is the power he held over his victim. Philip goes on to say he's afraid of Brandon. Always will be and always has been. Then, why the hell are you associated with him, let alone being his lover, you fucking moron. Brandon goes into the kitchen to get a bottle of champagne to celebrate their victory over the average man. What the fuck? This doesn't sit well with Philip until Brandon presses the matter, saying he feels uh, more alive than he ever has done. Now, he has done the perfect murder. He wishes he was more of an artistic person. However, he has now made murder into an art form. Uh, wow, the cockiness of this spoiled rich brat is unreal. Again, this is based off the Leopold and Loeb murders, or murder rather, who were sons of the filthy rich millionaires that ran Illinois in the 20s. These two decided to go on a crime spree and then graduate to murder just because they could. Apparently they went around smashing windows and, and doing arson attempts and stealing cars and then they kidnapped the 14 year old boy then killed him and that was their final piece of, of the puzzle, they were the perfect fucking crime because all they wanted to do was have a thrill they had no regrets and no remorse typical sociopaths this must be foyer for this next generation of kids being brought up on YouTube with two bags like the Paul brothers as role models who only 
shown regret once YouTube slapped them on the wrist and they've got bad press and indeed bad PR. These two shits do not give a fuck. All they want to do is shock and make money and this world is pandering to them, which is fucking wrong. Stop giving these idiots the fucking limelight. Oh my god, just how bad will the next generation be? I mean, if you can show a dead body hanging from a tree in Japan and then the other brother sets fire to a house, I believe, or sets fire to a, a pool outside of a house in West Hollywood. What the fuck? These people should be fucking locked up for it. Fucking insane. But anyway, back to this movie. The two toast the dead body and then Philip asked Brandon how he felt after the deed was done. He replied, why it was nothing but a power rush and he enjoyed it. And then the two prep for a party they're having for the dead schoolmate and his wannabe wife, Janet, played by Joan Chandler. As Brandon goes on to gloat, the party is the perfect finishing touch for the perfect murder. He's even gone as far as having the victim's mother and father over, and wow, Hitchcock, you're really, really laying this on really thicker, you know it's Jesus. And nope, he takes it much more further, as Brendan serves the food for the party on top of the chest that David is in, i.e. his coffin, and wow, Hitchcock, just wow. Philip panics until Brandon puts his foot down, and Philip bends like cheap metal. Philip fusses over why they just couldn't have the dinner party at the dining table, until Brandon coolly says the trunk is the perfect dining table, as... Well, this is the perfect accompaniment to this party, is having the coffin serve the food because he's a fucking sociopathic nutjob. He also says that Mr. Kentley, David's father, is an elderly man and he shouldn't bend down to pick up these rare books that he has, which is the whole reason for having Mr. Kentley over, is to look at these um, early edition books. I mean, okay then, I guess it is the 40s. Again, what the fuck, Hitchcock? Brandon then leaves Philip to see... Sorry, to sit at the table as he answers at the door to their maid. Philip screams when he sees the rope still tied around David's neck hanging from the chest. Brandon, however, just cool yanks out, tells Philip to pull himself together. He then goes on to tell Philip to stop showing emotion as that's a sign of weakness and being ordinary, to which Brandon thinks is wrong as he is, quote, a superhuman and not an average Joe. Therefore, do not show your emotions. Other maid is Mrs. Wilson, played by Edith Everson. She enters telling Brandon he owes her for a taxi cab and for the overpriced party she paid. She then goes mad when she notices Philip is setting the table on top of the chest rather than the dining table she spent all morning setting up. Until Brandon spins his bullshit about how Mr. King is an old man and he doesn't think it is right for him to stoop down to the chest to look at these books as I mentioned earlier and he thinks the table would be the perfect place to have these books set up. Philip panics more as Brandon is casually walking around with the murder weapon in his hand. He's playing with the fucking yard of rope, the sick bastard. Brandon tells Mrs Wilson her old flame Rupert Cadell, played by Jimmy Stewart, is coming over so she and he can reconnect. This sets off Philip's jealous side as Cadell was their old school teacher and Brandon had a thing for him. Philip again has a hissy fit to Brandon inviting Cadell over. However, Brandon tells him he wanted the extra thrill of having the one man who could figure it all out 
Also, he thought about asking him to join in. No comment. The guests arrive. As Brendan puts it, the fun now begins. First to arrive is a former classmate, Kenneth, played by Douglas Dick. The three make small talk, as we find out Kenneth and Janet were lovers until David stole her away. I'm getting David might have been a bit of a bully here, as Kenneth acts old nervousman Philip mentions his name. Also saying, you may have a chance with Janet now, since David is out of the picture. Next to arrive is Janet herself, who calls Philip and Brandon duckies. Was that a hit of being, uh, them being a couple? Hmm. Seems Janet is a writer for a fashion magazine, and a bit of a ditzy person. Also, she's possibly a gold digger, as I'm getting that David uh, was much more well off than Kenneth was. So, hmm. Maybe she's a gold digger. Janet pulls Brandon away to chew him out for having Kenneth over the awkward ex. Brandon points out he can't keep up with her romances as she's had David, Kenneth and indeed himself. Wow, she has a gold digger then. Also the reason why she dumped Kenneth was because David was much, much richer. Next to arrive is Mr Kentley, played by Cedric Hardwick, and his sister-in-law, Mrs Atwater, played by Constance Collier. Seems Mrs Atwater is a rich old socialite who loves to hobnob at parties. Hence why Mr Kentley took her. Also his wife is sick. Philip breaks a martini glass in his hand when he sees Mr Kentley. And this really pissed me off. They're serving champagne in martini glasses instead of champagne bowls or floats. But I guess it was the 40s so that would be bowls. And they, they serve... They serve... They serve... Um, sherry... Rather, not sherry, uh, brandy and sherry glasses instead of having the big fuck off sh- uh, brandy glasses. Okay, then. These are supposed to be rich, sophisticated people that are serving their own bloody glasses. Moving on. Mr. Kentley sits down with Janet to discuss David, saying he, he wished his wife would let him go and indeed for him to grow up. Janet tells him she thinks David is far too bright and far too good to study. Also, she can't wait to wed him. And indeed he is late for a party, but he's always punctual and on time, so where are where is he? And wow, I've got to see here, Hitchcock, way to push women's rights here. She's just waiting water, waiting until he, she marries into money to become this rich socialite. And wow, sir, wow. Moving on, Mrs Atwater goes on to read Philip's hands. Seems she's a bit psychic. She goes on to tell him he has strong heart of that of an artist. Also, his hands make him famous. I love the fact the camera zooms right onto the open palms of both of Philip's hands. It is not a drop of blood nor cut to be seen. Yet not five minutes earlier did he slice open his hand with the broken glass. Continuity Hitchcock, look it up. With that, Philip sits down to a baby grand to play a melancholy piece. And note, Farley Granger learned to play this piece uh, not just fake fingering, as he put it, in seven weeks. As the backdrop skyline of New York City turns dark, Mr. Cadell finally arrives. This causes Brandon to stutter nervously, as he now has his fancy man on sight. Seems he still has a thing for this old schoolmaster. Cadell sees right through Brandon's schmarm and charm, cutting to the quip, noting Brandon only stutters when he's nervous, therefore something must be up. Cadell asks Brandon, why is he serving food on top of an old traveller's chest? So Brandon spins his bullshit story yet again. Cadell shuts him down. 
telling Janet a brand of but often make up stories of how a bride-to-be accidentally killed herself by hiding in an old traveller's chest, much like the one in the living room, locking herself in by mistake, and indeed the body wasn't found until 50 years later. With everyone buzzing around the foot, Philip nervously chases off Mrs. Atwater, then tries to chase off Janet, but she stands solid, asking him why won't he eat the chicken? And yeah, this small talk is fucking badly written. Brandon then coolly tells the room why Philip doesn't like chickens. Seems he filtering the neck of a chicken one afternoon at Brandon's parents' estate as it picked him and indeed attacked him. Philip screams, that's not true, then rants he's never killed anything in his entire life. Yeah, mate, you're the one that strangled the fucking uh, the classmate for crying out loud. The camera then hangs on Cadell's face, noting Philip's uncomfort. Cadell then takes to the floor, saying he'd love to see both Philip and Brandon going at it over who strangles the best chicken. <clears throat> or rather, who strangles the chicken best. Then goes on to say he thinks murder is okay as he thinks it would solve society's problems of unemployment, poverty, and getting theatre tickets. What a stuck-up, uncaring arsehole. No wonder Brandon became a cold-calculating cunt. If this guy was his male role model, he then tells Mrs. Atwater to grab a gun and shoot people to get tickets for events she's interested in, and then grab a knife and kill people in line to get the best food. How very purge. Also, how very upper class, just step on the lower classes to get your own way and keep them down in the gutter where they belong as you feast. Mrs. Atwater seems to love his idea until she realises everyone would be a murderer then. Here Cadell says, no, murder is an art form that should be only done by the superior, i.e. the stinking rich. I've said it before and I'll say it again, the rich only care about getting more of everything and holding on to it as long as they can, middle class bitching more about being unfair, all the while living a really comfortable lifestyle, as the poor gets fucked in the ass to pay for everything bloody else. Brandon looks all dewy-eyed at Cadell as he spews his fucking bullshit, adding the victims are inferior beings and should be treated as such. Cadell adds he thinks once a year there should be a slit that a net we- Nick, even week, or strangulation day, so basically the purge then. The rest of the guests laugh this off, all but Brandon, who is beaming from ear to ear in his own smugness. Mr. Kentley then pipes up, who is he to judge who is superior and inferior, as Brandon pipes up himself, Philip, and maybe Cadell. So basically the gays then. This is a very dangerous train of thought, indeed. This feeds into the queer fear I was talking about earlier. In fact, I've said this before and I'll say this one again, heterophobia is as bad as homophobia. You cannot fight hate with hate. Mr. Kentley then points out Brandon is quoting from Nietzsche. And indeed his theory of the Superman is exactly what Hitler did. This ticks off Brandon saying Hitler was nothing but a savage Philistine. As this Brandon guy is the true superior being. Wow, ego much. And why can't anyone see how dangerous this man truly is? He's practically foaming at the mouth as he's lapping up all of Cadell's bullshit. I mean, oh dear, oh dear. More to the point, what does Philip see in him? Is it the power he holds over him? Is he the slave in this relationship? Or is he just a sheep looking for a shepherd? 
or certainly stands up shouting down Brandon's radical thinking, demanding he stop. He then runs off to call his wife to find out if she knows any information on David's whereabouts, as it is indeed a good hour into this party. Although I love the fact it's supposed to be in real time, yet they say it's been an hour, but it has actually been real time. This is only an hour and 70 minute movie, I believe. As the the time passes, the, the skyline gets darker and darker. So what's going on here? Hmm. Cadell pulls Brandon aside to question him if he really put his theory into practice. Brandon then smugly sends Mrs. Atwater to view the rare books he has displayed. And then bullies Kenneth into doing his bidding, i.e. playing the radio. Janet tells Kenneth she's not impressed with Brandon's grandstanding. In fact, he wants to force she and Kenneth back together again. She's going to say he dumped her, and she's thankful for that because she met David, the one person she doesn't have to act smart for. Wow, Hitch. Wow. So, because Janet is a smart and sassy gal... Uh, that makes her a complete idiot, and she can finally put her intelligence behind her and be happy with David because he's rich and successful. Wow, Hitchcock's just wow. Kenneth then drops that Brandon knew he and Janet had split and told Kenneth he had a chance with Janet now that David is out the picture. This pisses Janet off. She storms off to have it out with Brandon as Kenneth. Uh, runs after her in tow. Cadell watches this from the wings and asks Brandon if something went wrong. Brandon says he doesn't know what he's talking about and just walks off. And Mrs. Wilson then tells Cadell uh, that the party is very queer, as Philip usually eats like a pig, uh, but he has barely touched any of the food. Cadell says Brandon told him he usually hates giving parties as Mrs. Wilson shoots the idea down, saying that these two boys have parties every single weekend. And then bitches and moans about how the boys didn't use her dining table she spent all morning setting up, but instead moved the party to that old traveller's chest. This sounds alarm bells in Cadell's head. Philip overhears this and sends Mrs. Wilson on to do her maid duties, adding to keep her mouth a bloody well shut. And a real charmer this guy is. As the sun sets more, Philip heads back to the piano to play some more. Here, Cadell questions him as to why he's acting so strange. Philip says nothing is wrong and just starts to stutter and has yet another bloody well hissy fit. So Cadell tells him to calm down and he'll get him a drink. Then Outroot tells him he knows something is up. Philip just laughs this off, continuing to play nervously. However, Cadell presses he knows he's lying as last summer he saw Philip choke chicken Sort of choke his chicken, and he's good at choking chickens. Philip throws a strop until he sees that Brandon has bundled the books up in the murder weapon and has held the books to David's father. This rattles uh, Philip so much, he goes straight to the scotch. So he's went from champagne to, what was it, sherry or brandy? Uh, on straight onto scotch, so it's a bit fun. <laughs> Brandon notices this and tries to calm his partner down. Philip doesn't stand for this and all but shouts for Brandon not to tell him what to do anymore. Cadell overhears this, so applies yet more pressure. As the sun finally sets, Mrs. Wilson starts to clear away the dishes. 
The camera just holds in the chest as she does so. As she does, this Cadell applies more and more pressure, questioning both Philip and Brandon as to David's whereabouts. Both start to stutter and deny absolutely everything. Mrs. Wilson, now finished clearing away the dishes, brings in the books from the other room to put them back in the chest where they belong. All the while, the camera has not moved an inch. Just as she's about to open the chest, Brandon stops her and releases her for the rest of the night. Mrs. Atwater comes back from calling her sister to tell Mr. Kentley his wife is in pieces worried about David's whereabouts. So with that, the party ends as all the guests leave to head to Mr. Kentley's house. Not before Janet and Kenneth build a bridge. And not spot the Hitchcock silhouette light in the background of this one scene. Apparently this is a neon light that costs thousands of dollars but isn't actually shown much. I mean, crying out loud. Brandon smiles on smugly as he sees Kenneth and Janet patch up their relationship. Cadell is the last to leave as Mrs. Wilson gives him his hat. However, it's the wrong hat. It's David Kentley's hat. Indeed, it has DK initials on the inside. So he knows they've been lying all along and indeed they have killed David. Elated he got away with it all, Brandon smokes a victory cigarette as he closes the door on Cadell. However, Philip is in pieces yet again. Philip drunkenly rants at Brandon on why he invited Cadell as he got pumped for information. The two have a lover's tiff as Philip chafes under Brandon's control. Brandon just laughs at him, shouting him down, asking where he'd like to go on a holiday. Because of course they'd go on a holiday after killing their bloody roommate. I mean, what are they do? Leave the body there for weeks on end? Philip tells him he wishes this was all just a big nightmare, as Brandon smug and cockily cuts him off, saying it all went to his perfect plan. Mrs. Wilson interrupts, asking for the house key, which she gave Philip that morning, so Brandon hands it to her. With that, she sees herself out. Brandon then calls the garage to have his car sent round to the house, as they plan to spend a few weeks in his mother's country home, or country estate there. Seconds later, the telephone rings. This panics Philip, who answers it. It's Cadell, back to settle it all, saying he has left his cigarette case. Philip has yet another hissy fit, so Brandon slaps him across the face, forcing him to face Cadell, as Brandon calmly invites him up. Now inside the flat, Cadell calmly starts to pick at Brandon and Philip, as he hides his cigarette case under the pretense of looking for it. He starts to question Brandon. A playing cat and mouse all the while. He picks his, up a cigarette case and sits to have a drink of scotch and soda. Now, I should have said earlier, Brandon thinks scotch is the ultimate alpha male drink. And that makes him super superior if you're drinking scotch. As indeed, they say they shouldn't have served David the scotch and soda. Just give, give him a root beer, as he's a more common American. Still questioning Brandon and Philip, Cadell calmly finishes his drink while smoking a cigarette, all the while Philip is nervously looking over at David's coffin. Finally, Brandon outright asks Cadell what his theory is, so Cadell tells him he thinks he got David, quote, out of the way. He then goes on in great detail as how he would kill David, in the exact way Brandon and Philip did. The camera glides around the room to Cadell's blow-by-blow account of how they did the killing, except he doesn't say it right, as the camera continues to glide over a room. Because Cadell thinks 
they knocked him out and shoved him down the back staircase. Philip then screams and smashes a glass, confessing it all. Brandon tells him to pipe down. Cadell continues asking why Brendan has a gun in his pocket. This gun because it's absolutely bloody nowhere bad it by. Brandon pulls it out and throws it on the piano, walking away laughing, saying it's for his own protection. Cadell turns his back and pulls out the rope as turns to a panic Philip who dies for the gun. Cadell and Philip struggle with the gun. It goes off in Cadell's hand as a Brandon tries to string an excuse together. Cadell holds him at gunpoint. Cadell then opens the chest and overacts as he discovers David's dead body. Brandon mumbles the excuse and reasons as to why they did it. A look of shock and disgust comes across Cadell's face as he sits to tell Brandon he never dreamed anyone would take his words so literally. Yeah, mate, you're really shocked an unstable former lover would kill someone just to impress you because you filled his head with bullshit for years and years on end. Oh dear, oh dear. Cadell goes on to talk down in utter shock to Brandon, asking him how he thinks he's better than everyone else. He's a nobody, a loser, worse, even a poser. Screaming at them, they're going to die for what they did. He opens the window and fires out three shots into the night. And I'm sorry, but if this is supposed to be a powerful ending, then it fails. Jimmy Stewart just doesn't have it. He's woefully miscast, and this ending does not work. Anyway, the public below gather and start to question whether or not they heard shots. And yes, did you hear shots? Yeah, well, yes, I did hear shots. The shots were up there. Say, did you hear shots? And blah, 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 blah. This was on for a good three minutes. And by the way, they're supposed to be in a penthouse, yet the public are clear as day. Shouldn't it be muffled slightly? The camera then pulls out to a stunned Cadell, Brandon making a drink, and Philip standing by the piano. As police sirens scream in the air, Cadell sits next to David's coffin. Philip is now crying at the piano as Brandon is calmly drinking his last scotch and soda as credits roll. So that was Rope, a supposed great thriller about suspense, murder and intrigue, except it doesn't work. Jimmy Stewart ruins the final ten minutes. It just falls to pieces. I can see why he hated this movie, as he killed this entire ending. Also, Brandon is supposed to be as smart as he thinks he is, except he kept David's hat in the cupboard or a closet. Also, he had the key that Mr. Sorry, Mrs. Wilson gave Philip. She not bring a ring alarm bells in Mrs. Wilson's head. She gave Philip the key, not Brandon. This movie has nothing but dislikable characters, bad dialogue, and a messed up ending. And to make things worse, no comments for Brandon or Brendan. Overall, I'd give this a very soft 4 out of 10. A movie for a boring, rainy Sunday afternoon only. Still, come back next week as I'll wrap up Hitchcock Month with a Dial M for Murder. September is Selected Stephen King Movies. October is House and Haunted Hill Movies. November is Night Off Movies. And December is End of the World Movies. Don't forget to like, share, comment and subscribe. Also follow me on Twitter at Here's Johnny's Pause where you can vote for what movies I will cover. Or email me your movie suggestions to Here's at gmail.com Check out my other horror franchise podcasts of Psycho, Aliens, Hellraiser, House and more. Also my solo podcast of The Thing, Dracula, Bud the Chud and many more. And one more thing, check out my new fortnightly podcast, The Schlocky Horror Podcast Show on Anchor.fm. As myself and my co-host Eric look at all things schlock from B to Z movies.
And now remember, I watch these bad movies so you don't have to. Eh, uh, bye!